عامر بساط فند مانجر فوكسينج اون ايمرجن ماركتس اند سوفرن فيكسد انكم انفستمنتس has shown its dissatisfaction mm-hmm. and its incredible anger at the ossified system that does not allow it to, to attain its, its, its uh, desires, right? Mm-hmm. And you can go back actually all the way back to the turn of the century, right? the 1920s, where we had a series of another where it was a renaissance, which is really at its essence, the middle class wanting mm-hmm. something new, mm-hmm. wanting a, a new prosperity, wanted an aspiration of, of, of ascendancy and progression. Um, uh, the more recent example, the one that unfortunately did not end up as well, is the one in the late in the mid 70s, right? Mm-hmm, Where you mm-hmm. had also a movement that really started with the student movement in the 68, accelerated in a more violent fashion in the early part of the war, Harakal mm-hmm. National yes, Progressive yes. Movement, right? Which at its essence wanted to break the system as well mm-hmm. and create a, a, a new sectarian less or a sectarian free Lebanon. Eventually, the outcome of that experiment did not end up well. Uh, one hopes that this one is different, uh, but the history of the 70s does not bode well. So in a sense, I'm getting from you that we're seeing a, a repetition of sorts at trying to change the way Lebanon is governed. Am I getting that right, that this is a constant attempt, but not necessarily a success story? No, so, no absolutely, absolutely. And again, mm-hmm. I want to emphasize the point. One of the major anomalies, one of the most important anomalies as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. is this dislocation between a middle class whose aspirations and its skills, as it were, are significantly dislocated from what they can get from this economic and political structure. Right. That schizophrenia, that divorce between a system that does not deliver mm-hmm. and the desires of the middle class is, is a huge anomaly. And it's not clear to me Mm-hmm. It's still not clear to me why is it that we, we and I'm considering myself as part of that liberal yes. uh, mm-hmm. crowd, cannot achieve that break. Right. Why can, are we always eventually suppressed and oppressed? And why is it that, the, I'm going to use the word feudal between quotation, not feudal in the, in the traditional sense, but the, 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 this... this uh, in the Lebanese sense, the, I guess. In the Lebanese <laughs> sense, exactly. Yeah. Why do they always win? Why do they mm-hmm. always oppress? Mm-hmm. Why do they always... Um, um, uh, it's not clear to me why. And, and they can be very violent in the way they oppress, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the history of wars in Lebanon, as far as I'm concerned, is ones where there's this continuous attempt at breaking the desire of the middle class. Let me ask you, though, I'm going to point out two things here. The, the first is, do you sense that the bulk of the movement this time around is the middle liberal class? Or would you maybe include in the impoverished, poverty-stricken underclass that is now, in, in some ways, it seems like it, it's hurting that sector of society the most. No, no completely. You know, it's, it's very interesting. And, and again, the way I described it is probably too stylized. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just focusing on the on that phenomenon of yes. 17th of October, 
which right. was at its essence a liberal uh-huh. middle yeah. class educated right. very coastal mediterranean type of of of, of desire for for, uh-huh. for a european model as it were right um but clearly that's not just that's one orthogonal right there are many yeah. multiple other axes that were behind the demonstrations right. of which income inequality social dislocations and something uh, that's I, I mean I, I guess it's consistent but this time stands out more which is the youth mm. that there's a group of there's a sizable chunk of the protest movement mm. that is unfamiliar with the war or even necessarily most of the post-war era they're kind of growing into what we see today, which is a collapse. Mm. No, as soon as, like, I'm, thankfully, I'm not that old. <laughs> but when you go back and you look at the experience of the 60s, 68, yeah. 71... Well, now you've dated yourself. Now I've dated myself. <laughs> when you look back to the 60s, you lose the... <laughs> no, no, I'm not that old, card, by yeah. the way. Let me very clear. But, like, uh, but you read about it and you sort of talk to people about it. And it was also a youth movement, mm. again. Mm. And again, like the emphasis I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make is that there's a failure of aspiration. The aspirations right. of the youth, the yeah. aspiration of the, of 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 that liberal class, and I use the word liberal as in the one that wants progression, progressive class, right? Right. It's always been a youth-led movement. This is mm. not new. It's very healthy. Yeah. Um. It's very optimistic. It makes me extremely happy when I see it, and, mm-hmm. and very, opt- very joyful. But but, uh, but it's not a new concept. Right. Uh, now I also like that you skipped over whether intentionally or not, the, the most recent attempts at change, which were the U-Stink movement of mm-hmm. 2015, mm-hmm. 16, mm-hmm. also the 2005 mm-hmm. protests mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing from what you're saying is that it goes beyond post-war Lebanon, that mm-hmm. this is a structural problem. Mm-hmm. And now let's get into that a bit. Do you sense that this time around that there's a ability for the average protester to actually achieve a new social pact. Because mm. I'm, I'm sensing that this might be the first time you see a, what looks like, whether you're there or from afar, a Lebanese citizenry. That's, a, that's an unusual trait yeah. in, in modern Lebanese history. You don't really see that. Is there something within this movement that can yield actual political change where you see something like what you're describing? And whether or not the average protester knows that they're doing this or not, challenging the sectarian order the way Lebanon has governed itself for a very long time. Do you think that this that's in the mix this time of the round? Or, or just sort of projecting a bit that Lebanon is cursed, that this system might be so strong and we don't appreciate the strength of this, whatever you want to call it, this intercommunal regime that we live with. No, it's a great question. Listen, uh, um, I'm going to give you the two-handed answers, and then eventually I'm going to conclude. <laughs> and the conclusion between the two is, is unfortunately a pessimistic one. But let me give you the optimistic argument. Right? The optimistic argument is based on, on change happens when there's vacuum. Change happens mm, when yes. there's a complete uh, collapse of the ancien regime. Right when right. the Ancien yeah. regime becomes so bankrupted mm-hmm. and so ineffective and so uh, disastrous, yes, um, that the vacuum gets filled by the civil society, right? right? And which brings me to my second, still positive, optimistic point is that I've seen this in so many other countries uh-huh. where when the Ancien yeah. regime collapses and becomes discredited and becomes corrupt, uh, not corrupt bankrupt, um, there is a role for the middle for 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 a new mm-hmm. new mm-hmm. narrative new discourse of politics to emerge i saw it in turkey in the early 2000s uh, you saw it in latin america yeah. in the 70s and 80s yeah. uh, where sort of a series of hyperinflation of economic mm-hmm. collapse 
um, led to a political shift that originally was quite violent, but eventually proved to be much more much more positive, right? So, and on both points, I like you look at the Lebanese situation, and and you sort of feel that we may be there, right? The the current the current the current political system is so bankrupt and yeah. so has a fantasyaki feel to it, right? They're just they're, the, the desperateness with which they're trying to survive yeah. is one that tells me they're about to finish. And there's a, there's a, having said that, mm-hmm. and this is where the pessimist in me steps up, unfortunately. Yes. Mm-hmm. I look at that same crowd, the establishment, what we call the establishment, what they refer to as a manvoma, right? Which I love that term. Uh, and you realize two things, right? <laughs> Or three things. One, those that's what they call as an establishment is is has a machinery, mm-hmm. still very powerful, still has a, a, a structure of governance that is is tough to overtake. Right. The yeah. second reason is they have the resources. They're still wealthy. They're, that's where the wealth is, and money matters. And the third reason, by far, by far the most important, is sectarian politics. It's so difficult to yeah. do a change yeah. with sectarian politics being so internalized and indo- mm. indoctrinated in the society. Now, the first two, clearly that's the case. The third, though, the sectarian politics, do you sense that that also trickles down to the average protester? So the, so the average protester could be calling for regime change but be sectarian as well. I'm completely convinced that's true. Interesting. And at the essence yeah. of my pessimism, why mm. I don't think this vacuum will be filled. Mm. Hopefully I'm wrong, incidentally. Huh? I genuinely, and on October 17th, I was extremely excited and optimistic. Yeah. Now I'm realizing that the essence of my optimi- pessimism is the notion that sectarian identity remains too entrenched, internalized in the society. And yeah. it's very difficult for us to create citizenry hmm. um, um, unless we can divorce, unless we can actually move away from 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 uh, from that that, that sense of identity that is defined based on sect and religious. Well, let me ask you then, this is a broad question. Why does Lebanon, in that case, stand out? Mm. Many countries in the region chose perhaps a different bag of bad ideas. Mm. We had military dictatorships, we had, unfortunately, uh, uprisings that went very violent in recent mm. years. Mm. Uh, we've seen theocracy emerge, we've seen unhealthy variations of governance. Why is Lebanon unwilling to flirt with different ideas? And I ask this because even though you're young, but you're a little older than me, (laughs) you've seen Lebanon go through war. You've seen Lebanon go through invasion. You've seen Lebanon pay prices in the past. You've seen Lebanese suffer. Yet that suffering never yields to a new way of governing. In a, in a way, it, it, it devolves mm. further and further. What is it about Lebanon that makes that machinery intact? We're different, right? I don't want to say worse or better, but mm. it's not like it's, it's a, a tradition or a history of having a civil war every 30 years. It's not something that to be terribly proud of, sure. right? And the yeah. way the system resolves its internal contradictions in Lebanon is through war. Oh, that's interesting. So the, the war mm. is, is the mechanism to solve yeah, the system's Complete. errors. Otherwise, the system remains intact. Complete. It's very difficult. That's, that's the essence mm. of the pessimism. Mm. So the system is, is, is ossified, huh? yeah. and yeah, the way yeah. you cannot, like, unfortunately, the only way you can actually transgress it and move it, yeah. either as a result of demographic changes, historically, that's the reason why right. we have wars, is when one sect becomes too big or too or smaller. 
Another is when you have regional shifts that become dominant, mm. right? Mm. How do we deal with it? How does the social contact get recreated? Unfortunately, it gets recreated through wars. You had them in 1840, 1860, in 58, 60, right? Yeah. And obviously the big one in 75. Right. And the only way to break it is, at the, at the original sin is the sectarian politics. Then Until we get into that, yeah. we can, because that's the path, that's the door towards the progressive, Mm-hmm. ideal that we all want, right? Which is a citizenry in, 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 with a capital C, right? Now, I'll take one step further in this area because it's really, I'm, I'm in, I like the historic perspective here. I like the long view. What would it take other than this current economic pain if wars are not changing the, the game? What would it take for that kind of different arrangement to emerge? Is it a matter of the state actually has to collapse on in on itself. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, no, it's a good question. And and, 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 and and honestly, I mean, again, I look at the examples of Argentina, right, and and, and a bunch of Latin Americans in the seventies, where you needed a complete collapse mm. of the economic and the political order that was so violent and so right. draconian. Right. That the society was yearning for something new, right? And, and we may not be there yet. Well, but it feels, again, this is not something to hope for. Yeah. Well, incidentally, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like I'm hoping for that sure, at sure. all. But we may not be too far. I mean, this is the, the kind of crisis that we're going through mm. right now uh, is, is, is akin to, to, it reminds me a little bit of that, that, that collapse. So more pain may be on the horizon, but beyond that, we may actually see something new yeah, I mean I don't again I don't I don't want to go there explicitly because sure, that sure. makes me hopeful like as if I'm <laughs> hoping for as yeah. if I'm so not hopeful yeah. as if I'm hoping for a collapse mm, right yeah, I'm right. not yeah, yeah. like the kind of pain and misery that will come as a result mm. of that vacuum yeah. is not something that anybody should pray because that's beyond for. austerity that's yeah. that's for yeah. no that's collapse I mean that's, that's hyperinflation yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's 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 uh, yeah. like a complete failed state if that radical approach one of complete collapse leading to a change is something that we don't hope for. Mm-hmm. What is there an alternative which is more optimal, right? right? And I've been thinking a lot about this. And I'm sort of thinking that, and to bring it back to real politics here, to, to Lebanese politics here, if we can go through a period in which there is sufficient instability to ensure that the civil society does not recede, that they continue demonstrating, yes. that they continue working, organizing. Yeah. But, but that collapses not to the point where we have a failed state. That middle ground right. will lead us to the new elections. Mm-hmm. And the hope is that in the new elections, we can, parliamentary elections obviously, we can get 10 to 15, not more than that. I mean, literally, if we can get 10 to 15 new parliamentarians who are truly sectarian-less, who are truly progressive, mm. they can become the, 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 the pivot. They become the veto, the true veto power. So, so power sharing with a new, a new group, in a sense, a new political grouping that's unusual. That, and that's, that would be new in the right. Lebanese context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've never had that mm. third party, that middle ground that, mm-hmm. is, that is not defined by its sect or its religion, one that is truly defined by its aspirations and uh, so the progressive ideas. Right. If we can get yeah. 15 of those in the parliament, they could, they could, it could become a game-changing. So the ho- if I were to be hopeful and optimistic, that yeah. would be the path. So you're able to see how this could go wrong. 
but you're leaving some room for managed hope. Yeah, and I think the rescue plans that were uh, submitted, whether it was through Carnegie or, or An-Nahar more recently, these 10-point plans, where it's academics and thinkers and the like, are sharing their personal opinions and taking their time from work and offering ideas on how to fix the economy, not fix the economy, how to manage the economy during a very difficult period of time. And I sense that that's the underpinning from everyone's shared voice, that they see something very bad happening, and they're hoping that it can be steered enough so that it doesn't hurt too much. Let's get a bit into the details of the most the most recent one, which mm-hmm. I, th- I think it was January 6th, if I'm mm-hmm, not mistaken. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just days before the new cabinet emerged. It's days before Hassan Diab becomes prime minister. Assuming nothing has changed dramatically in, in the 10 points, the term haircut that's being used over and over and over, and you see commercials now in Lebanon, you know, avoid the haircut, buy Houthi home equipment. <laughs> <laughs> see your money, don't lose it, right? What does a haircut look like if it is implemented? Whether it should be or not. To understand this concept of haircut, which I hate as a word, by the way, um, I refer to, I'd like to call it burden. Who pays the cost? You're going to say hair loss. Hair loss, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is you have to go back to the original sin. And the original sin, we have to start with where the problem started. And where the problem started is public debt. And the essence of all of this is that we have a public sector that simply borrowed too much. Yeah. Right. Um, the problem, however, with debt that became too big is that somebody owns that debt. Somebody invested their mm-hmm. wealth yeah. in that debt. Right. This is not debt that got created in vacuum. Somebody had to own it on the other side. Right. right? So now let me go back to the debt and then we talk about the people who own it. Right. Yeah. So now the first question you have to ask yourself is, is that debt repayable? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And I think the answer is categorically no. Right? No country can repay. This is what I do for a living. We cannot repay that. That the, the debt, the servicing of that debt is beyond the capability of the economy. Yeah. To give you an idea, right? If you were to have to pay interest on it of seven percent, which is really a very conservative number, it, in, if you had to repay it in installments over ten years. Yeah. The amount that you have to do to prepay that debt is bigger, larger than all of your tax revenues. That's that big. Wow. All of the tax revenues of the country, all of it, will, will not be able... Not be, so you haven't even paid for education, for wages, for salaries. Just that it's absolutely unpayable, right? Some form of a restructuring is absolutely needed, which is where the word haircut starts coming in, right? So we need to the restructuring. We have package. to yeah. bring down yeah. the level of debt one right. way or the other, right. Right? right? right. It's just a debt that is unsustainable. It's just beyond the ability of a country like Lebanon yeah. to service it. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a reality that we have to start from, right? Can I ask you just to interrupt? Is that a universally accepted view at this point? I think it's becoming increasingly so. Okay. okay. I think there's an, and but well, it's a completely new uh, demystification. Yes. I right. mean, I think we are the first people to bring it into the open. Okay. Yeah. Right. And until a few months ago, there was this notion that uh, we have to pay. We it have to pay it. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Right. We sort of. I think we made the point in a fairly. We helped demystify the concept okay. that at some yeah. point you need to destructure. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first. Concept of there are two haircuts. The first haircut is then that the, the debt itself has to be quote unquote reduced, right. one way or the other, right? Yeah. Um, the, the problem, as I was saying, is that that debt is owned by somebody else. Yeah. Unfortunately, that somebody else is the banking sector. Yeah. 
the banks essentially became intermediaries. Yes. The banks became semestral. Right? They brought in deposits, <laughs> and the deposits were ended up used being used yeah. to finance to the finance debt. the debt. Right. Yeah. So if you accept the reality, if you accept yeah. the concept that debt service that the debt has to be brought down, mm-hmm. then by definition the banks will have to. Now the problem here is that, yeah. and go back to economics one one, banks have equity. Yes. Right. That equity is nowhere close to enough to pay for the debt service reduction that is necessary. Can I just get an estimate in your opinion? How far is it away from that? I mean, See, is, I it, is it like to, absurdly... I hate to be too pre- yes, yeah. it is. It's okay. like the numbers are too much larger, right? Right. Yeah, and yeah. I hate to be too precise, even mm. though we have all the numbers, we've yeah. crunched them, we have all the models, but it's tough to be precise because you have to make assumptions, right? right? To make, come up with a certain number, yeah. you have to make assumptions on a bunch of things. Including, not least, how much are you reducing your debt? Right, 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 right. It, but, it, but in the most optimistic scenario, it's still it's still a long ways away. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So now there's a bunch of other ways in which you can cover that burden, that that pain, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to yeah. come from lower debt. One possibility, obviously, is to get foreign assistance. Right. right? There's yeah. a lot of countries that yeah. use foreign assistance. This is where one of the reasons why this notion that the IMF is a no-no. Is to my mind, I'm going to use it silly. We need foreign assistance. We need foreign capital, foreign funds, and the only one available to us right now is not from the private sector. Right. It's from the public sector. Yeah. Another another level, yeah. which I really should have started with it, is that we need to ask the bankers themselves, the bank owners themselves, to chip in and recapitalize. Which today, I mean, listen, I think sometimes we overdo it by being too critical of the banks. What does that mean though? I mean, what would, I mean, is there a practical example there of what that would look like? Because it's hard for me to imagine that happening. No, it's not true. It's not true. So I mean, again, I don't want to be, I'm no, not no, trying no, to be no, a, no, a, specific. Be objective. Yeah, yeah, we don't like, know names or anything. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, I think most of these, farm, most of the owners of the banks are, are people who are invested in the country, right? They have a history of mm, investing. Mm. Like they're invested in the country in, in, in a political, social. These are mm. all big families. Mm-hmm. And so it's in their interest as well. Completely. To, okay. Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in right. the, if they want to remain invested in the country, yes. and I use the word invested as in uh, yeah. politically, right, and, and economically, they I have see. to become that. Right. Okay. So, so bringing in some of the capital that they own abroad right. is, yeah. is something that we should ask, is being asked, and again, I want to give them credit. They're talking. They're not close to the idea. We, oh, really? Oh. oh, the magnitudes may not be enough. Okay. The magnitudes are not big enough, but yeah. clearly it's on the agenda. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so, so at least it's being, it's being entertained. At least that this and is one more way more than more. Okay, more than entertained. Well, you know what? It's interesting. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but it's mm-hmm. it's these are positive signs. Mm-hmm. I don't think these were available a few weeks ago. At least. It didn't seem like there was this kind of serious discussion. Beginning. No, it's been there. It's been there. It's just that they've been talking. I mean, even when, even before the Hariri, um, the Hariri, the first, the first Bayan before he resigned. Yeah, that was part of the part of the conversation. Is that we need to ask bankers. Okay. To bring in some of their companies. But it actually is being discussed at a certain level, which is okay. seriously so, well, that's right? Good. So I, okay. Right. So there's a third way, mm-hmm. which is so the first way is is foreign capital. The yeah. second is trying to get the banks to bring in some of their. Um, bank owners to bring some capital. Yes, the public sector itself could take over some of that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. um, some of that burden yeah. by recapitalizing the banks themselves, which probably means more debt, unfortunately, right. by the public sector. But there's it's not we're not we shouldn't close the idea. Okay. If 
those three are not enough. Yes. And chances are they're not going to be enough. Uh-huh. Let me be honest about it. Yeah. Let me be open about it. We need to think about what we euphemistic, euphemistically refer to as deposit bail-in. Yeah. Deposit bail-in is, is another word for let the depositors share some of that burden. Right. And you could always conceptualize it and say, or um, explain and say, these are deposits that benefited from very high interest rates over the last five years. So maybe that interest that we yeah. paid gets reduced, gets taxed. There's a way of thinking about it. Right. It's very important that we do it equitably. I cannot overemphasize how important it is that we spare small depositors. Oh, so that so that's built into the assumption that as we absolutely any model yeah. here would tell you spare small depositors yeah. the wealth yeah. shock is too big but the idea that the first three are so again let me summarize here right? yeah. the original sin is debt yeah once we bring down debt to the level that is sustainable that can allow the country to re to grow yeah right somebody has to pay that reduction that and i'm sus- and the banks is where unfortunately the pain is in. do you sense that the devaluation of the lira is permanent and what I mean by that is, should it become an official devaluation at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, forget, forget, the, uh, forget the black market. No, you can't forget the black market. No, but I meant uh, in terms of... The essence of it. Should be, absolutely, but I meant, is it time for the central bank to just simply let exactly. go of the old... Well, I mean, I, I think this conversation is also, on the lira, is also um, sometimes massively misunderstood or, or confused, right? Um, let me start with the very, very basics here. Mm-hmm. Exchange rate is a price. Yeah. Right? At the end of the exchange rate is the price that balances the supply and demand of hard currency in a country. Right. There's, no, like, there's no other way of looking at it, right? There's, if there's too much demand for dollars and too little supply, then the currency weakens yeah. to adjust, to bring down the supply and the demand. Balance. And we saw a massive... And if we know one thing about the last three, four months is that <laughs> supply is non-existent, right. nobody yeah. wants to bring in their dollars, yes. and the demand is enormous yeah. because people want their dollars out. Right? Yeah. So what we refer to as, as the black market mm-hmm. is nothing more than the price that adjusts these two things together. Right? Right. Now, historically, the BDL has stepped in to to smooth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To intervene in a way to make sure that the currency, that if there is any supply demand imbalance, right, right, that it provides the dollars, yes, in order to make sure that the currency remains fixed. That's how fixed exchange rates work. And that's the post-war post-war managed it's float, whatever it's called. The pegs. Well, it, was, it I mean, wasn't managed. It was sorry, fixed. mismanaged. It was fixed. Fixed. <laughs> like completely fixed, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, they call it managed. It was completely fixed. To be able to fix a currency. Hmm. You have to have two things, right? To be able to... Ma- the first thing is you have to have enough reserves. Right. So that if there is this demand-supply imbalance, you can actually intervene. Right. Right. The reality is, if we know one thing, we do know that they don't have enough reserves right now. Can I ask you, when, in your sense, when did this become apparent? Not, not the last, not the crisis right now, but the post-war era. Is there a particular yeah. period that this became sort of understood that there's something yeah, wrong? Yeah, in 16, sometime, sometime around 2016... The supply of dollars through organic forms, which was deposit growth, mm, right? Mm, mm. People like me and you yeah. would bring in their dollars to Lebanon, put them in deposits, right? right? And the deposits were used to buy debt, yes. right? Um, sometime around that period, um, that stopped. 
Oh, okay. So, right? so that's four years ago. In a exactly. Okay. So what happened at that point is that in order to attract those inflows, yeah. right, they started raising interest rates in dollars, this yeah. famous financial engineering, yeah. right? It, it, it's essence. The financial engineering is nothing more than a way of providing returns so that people can be incentivized to bring back their dollars in a non-organic fashion, right? right. So it, right. this is nothing more, it's nothing more than raising interest rates in order to bring down their capital that was desperately needed. So I don't want to give, like, sometimes right. we also... Yeah. Sometimes we also blame, we love blaming one group versus another. Everybody's to blame, by the way, right? And, but the reality is when the central bank did that, they did it because the game had to continue. Otherwise, the game meaning the fixed rate. That, that, well, that, the fixed rate, it's, it's really the debt, go back to the debt. Somebody, oh, okay, you needed yeah. the dollars right. to pay the debt. So even this fixed rate goes back to the debt. I mean, the whole story goes back to this public debt. Okay. 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 You needed to raise dollars in order to pay for the debt. You had the fixed exchange rate. You Mm -hmm. didn't want to devalue. You didn't want to float. But I want to ask you then, why not? Okay. They should have... This is all now water under the bridge. Um, They should have floated... They should have floated years before, Mm -hmm. after 2008, when there was an excess amount of dollars coming into the system. Mm -hmm. Well, if they floated then... Mm -hmm. The currency wouldn't have weakened. By 2016, right. when there was an imbalance that was already developing, mm. when the demand supply of dollars was shrinking, mm-hmm. if you floated, you would have had a significantly weaker currency, an overshooting of the currency. So they lost their opportunity. Right. They had no at that point they had no choice but to try to maintain the currency fixed and to attract the capital that was needed. Yes. To pay the debt, to service the debt. Remember, it all goes yes. back to the debt. Yes, yes. The only way out was to raise interest rates. So, in a sense, this banking sector was at stake. Completely. And this was a very drastic measure taken before the current collapse. That and it that's the last option available completely. before the collapse. Completely. There was like literally the the there was a I we use the word desperate measure and a very costly measure. Right. To postpone the inevitable. You know, now, to be fair, to yeah. be fair to the central bank, and I'm not always fair to them, um, <laughs> because, I'm again, everybody's to be blamed, including them. To be fair to them, this was happening around the SED. It was happening okay. around the time in which we were supposed to do the reforms. There was a new government, yeah. a new presidency. Yeah. So maybe the gamble was, let's continue through desperate measures for another yeah. two years, We'll get Hopefully. bailed out somehow. And we do the reforms, right? They were talking about reforms at that stage. Yeah. Right? The electricity. Um, uh, so, unfortunately, yeah. that gamble failed at so many levels. You know, back wagging the dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that <laughs> the system is the dog and the debt is the tail. Let me okay. explain to you. Okay, okay. Yeah. Let me give you a couple of numbers and then make the point clearer, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's, it's a very simple exercise. I w- did is that we, I calculated the amount of true um, production, true value add that the economy created since 2000, right? I didn't even go back to 91. Since 2000, how much did this economy create in value add, in true, true GDP, right. right? Through production. We produced, as a country, as an economy, and this is true value at $450 billion. 
Okay. Okay. This is how yeah. much we are cumulative. Right? Yes. This is true value add. This is right. what we consider as, as manufacturing and yeah. services and agriculture and tourism and all these things that, that mm-hmm. is considered. Okay. How much do we as a, as a society consume? We consume, I mean, let me tell you one more number, so I'm going to give it to you. 650. Uh-huh. We consumed, we demanded mm-hmm. $200 billion more than we were able to produce. Wow. In two decades. In two decades. And that's, by definition, where do you get that from? You get it by borrowing. Yeah. That gap between what yeah, you yeah, demand yeah. and what you produce. Your ability to produce versus what you consume. Yeah. The way you do it is through that. And the emphasis here, and this is a very important emphasis, is not just the public sector. Yeah. We, the private sector, are also complicit. We also played the same game, right? Because we were lured into these interest rate ideas? Or is it beyond? beyond? I think that, no, it's beyond that. beyond that. I think this is at its core... And this is why I think that that is the tail and mm. the dog is really the system. Yeah. It is a sectarian, politically corrupt system that we're all complicit in, mm. where nobody wants to, to do the hard... Everybody wants to... Like, uh, this is where mm. theft and corruption and rent-seeking and, mm. and, and waste... Right? The system creates this and unwillingness to mm. tighten the belt when the belt is needed. And at some point, unfortunately, unfortunately, the resources to sustain that system were there, so we were able to borrow. Right. right? But before the war, mm-hmm. since I'm, it's more or less the same kind of nepotism, but not nepotism, the same mm-hmm. kind of... This, the system's almost the same, almost. But the corruption levels increased, crony capitalism went rampant. But that same kind of arrangement was there before the war. It, are, I mean, if you're just looking at two segments of Lebanese history, is it simply that the post-war order we overshot so dramatically that we just went we went insane with borrowing? Why wasn't that the case no, before? No, that's a superb question, superb question. And I went back then, I saw, I've been reading a lot about this. And, and you're 100% right. It's not like the system before 75 was any more rational or yeah. any less sectarian. But there were two things that made it different, right? Mm-hmm. The first is the regional boom that happened, right? Mm-hmm. That allowed us to live beyond our means as well then, right? Meaning the Gulf. The Gulf and, money, yeah, yeah. the nationalism yes. from Syria and Iraq, right? We were playing a role that was, was pivotal to, to a region. Uh, eventually, the Palestinian uh, right. sort of also provided us with the resources, the... the, the but there was another reason which is more interesting, which is, and God, I don't want to give them credit, but you have to give them some credit. The <laughs> old, the fathers of the people who are in charge right now had the fiscal responsibility, mm. right? Yeah. That we don't have today. You look at the budget deficit of Lebanon in pre-75, yeah. it was none, that never went into deficit. Exactly. So it's, yeah, yeah it's so striking. There was, a, there was an understanding that the system that is based on services mm. needs confidence. Mm. And confidence comes through making sure that the, that the economy is healthy. Right. And I, again, politically, I don't want to give them any credit. They're literally the parents of the ones who are right now, and they're probably at the, at the core of the problem. Mm. But at least you, we had a fiscal responsibility, public sector responsibility, that we simply lost after 2000, after 91. I'm curious what what the men, men, mental shift was post-war that made this happen. Is it simply one man, Rafi Hadidi, betting on a lot of things to go right and mm-hmm. things that went wrong? You know, when you said the Sedj is the backdrop to the um, 
2016 mm. financial engineering. I always think back to Oslo mm. and the, the not pre-Oslo, Madrid. Is that maybe, is it the climate back then that people were assuming the region was on a path towards yeah. prosperity and therefore we can gamble? I, mean, I, I think that's the answer. I mean, I think, mm. again, all of these conversations can be so stylized as yeah, if yeah, there's yeah. three phase one and phase two. But to simplify, right? Clearly, the phase one was the, the, the what I pretentiously call the intertemporal gamble of Ravi Hariri. Mm-hmm. As, as in, like, he clearly made a bet mm-hmm. in 91 that a reconstructed Lebanon in a region that is about to enter into a peace process, yes. funded through an ex- um, aggregation of debt, accumulation of debt, yeah. is sustainable. You borrow today because yeah. you're about to grow, you're about to, right? This is yeah. post-war reconstruction. You need to rebuild the country. Right. You need to put it back on a path of... Uh, mm-hmm. That clearly was at the core, right? Yeah. With hindsight, that gamble failed, yeah. partly for exogenous regions. Mm-hmm. The, the region never went into a, a, a peace. Yeah. And partly because, unfortunately, that extra state outside the Lebanese system vision yeah. very quickly was brought back to reality. And we mm-hmm. all realized that we cannot escape. Right. Every Hadid could not escape sectarian politics. All of them became, all of them, we went back into mm. the old. Yeah. Right? Unfortunately, we couldn't escape from, from it. So it failed because the region never grew. And it failed because the Lebanese couldn't go away from the... Interesting. And so, you get into yeah. the second phase where, mm. where, where with no growth but with debt with no prosperity right. but with, with debt, you enter into this vicious cycle where it becomes sort of over time and it took 20 years, but eventually we blew up. So an inevitable reality took too long mm-hmm. in a sense. We borrowed time. We bought and borrowed time. I want to go back to the early 90s and I hope I got this right. I remember the lira being at closer to 3,000 lira yeah, to the dollar. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually worse, yeah. much worse than we are today. Was it also a gamble to fix the rate and say that we can deal with this later? Or was that a standard no, no, policy? They needed, to, they needed to then, and I know this episode quite well, interesting, quite well. Um, it, it, again, this was this had less to do with debt and more to do with... with inflation. With, and, with, yeah. No, more than that, more to do with, with, with the reconstruction, right? We were mm, just mm. about, we are starting this enormous... Uh, Effort, mm. right? To, to 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 borrow and spend and grow, right? Yeah. And 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 there was question marks on its ability to to, to succeed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there was money no supply was, by the way, monetary policy at that point was all that takes part of the blame. It uh-huh. was it was not very well handled around that period of time. So the decision was taken, to my mind, reasonably. Mm-hmm. I emphasize reasonably mm-hmm. to anchor the currency. You needed to anchor it. You needed to bring it down because okay. you knew. That in order to, again, I want to take you back to the paradigm, to borrow yeah. in order to reconstruct the country so that you can grow and even, right. you needed the currency to be stable. So opening the market as well to dollar, making an official currency was part of that mechanism. You had to. You had wasn't to. A, okay. It wasn't a policy. It wasn't a, a positive. It was a it was an absence of a negative. You needed to fix the currency right. in order to attract the capital that was needed. You needed that anchor in order to bring in the capital to reconstruct the country after the war mm. in order to go back on back on the path of... Was growth. there any previous attempt at doing that either during the war or before the war? To we've the never world? had a fixed exchange rate. Okay, so that's the we've only... never had a fixed exchange rate but okay. we've also had in the, but we've always 
had a very balanced supply of demand of dollars. Right. Okay. So that that was always there. Yeah. It was all, so we never needed to. There was right. never a possibility of the exchange rate until '87. The first time right. things blew up was in '87. Until '87, yeah. the currency was managed mm-hmm. but floating. Right. In '87, we started having this large imbalance between supply and demand. Now we're going back too much of history. That also coincided with the exit of the Palestinians. Right. So a lot of the capital that was being brought in by the BLO was leaving the country. Right. Right. It was also mismanaged by the central bank at that point as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And you got the first wave of depreciation. Right. And this is when the lira really tumbled out. From three to seven hundred. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then in the next wave was in ninety two, when we got to from seven hundred to three thousand. Was it that late in ninety two? Ninety one was... actually. I may be wrong. It was okay. Ninety one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's. I, I ask you because I have nostalgia for these old notes, yeah. and I I remember <laughs> when the five hundred was printed, yeah. and the, I mean, this is after the monstrous two fifty and that relief that we were shrinking the size. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's not the end. Five hundred is just the beginning yeah. of a long wave of printing. That, that ages us, Ronnie. Well, that going back to our initial topic, I think I <laughs> I meant I have I've seen it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 all of that was. In hindsight, those were measured policies that were that were reasonable. They're I not, think they made this was sense not radical. at that time. Okay. I mean, they, they made sense at that time, given the bet that we had, yeah. which was let's borrow. I want to go back to the notion. Let's borrow so that we can grow. We can yeah. reconstruct and grow. And we, guess what? We promise, promise, promise we'll be able to pay them back. Right. And to do that, we needed an stability. And stability comes with a fixed exchange that is stable. Right for two three years that model worked. I mean, yeah. the country went back into a we grew yeah. aggressively, we grew a lot. Money was coming back in. Yes. Interest rates were coming down until we got into the sort of at that point. I mean, eventually, uh, 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 I guess complicated Syria and, and so that story is really beyond just the sectarian model because Lebanon has had a sectarian model as you said for so long that it's it's beyond that. It's and it's beyond. Debt is the center. Debt, debt is the big issue. But that there is a geopolitical component that allowed Lebanon to flourish better in the 70s than the late 90s, early 2000s. Is it conceivable that Lebanon let go of its own currency? Absolutely not. No. Now, just out of curiosity, what, why, why would that be a huge mistake? For somebody looking at a country like Bosnia, emerging from a terrible nightmare, and 25, almost 30 years later, they still don't have their own currency. So, so, so let me do a mental exercise with you, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, let's say you don't have a currency. Yeah. Literally, you're completely dollarized. And yeah. there's a bunch of countries. I mean, Argentina tried it. Salvador has it right now. Oh, really? They're, they're, they're right fully now, course, dollar. Yeah. Okay. Salvador has it. Yeah. Um, uh, Bosnia, as you point out, has it. So the, this these incredibly hard pegs. And this right. is what it is, right? It's a hard mm-hmm. peg. It's a mm-hmm. peg that you cannot exit from even if you wanted to, right? Right. So right. let's do a mental exercise together, right? Let's say um, um, at some point, dollar supply into the economy, for some reason, collapses. Money is not coming in, in right. dollars, right? And right. the dollar demand is still very high. People want that hard currency. Yes. And the central bank cannot print it because it's not their currency. It's not their currency. Yeah. What happens? You import less. Sure. Yeah. Right. So what happens when you need to import less? You have to grow less. You have to contract. You have yeah. to really. The only way you don't import is you con- you you grow you you contract your economy. 
because your economy is based on part, right. at least part of it. So what happens is that this is a concept of domestic adjustment. You force that right. adjustment right. as opposed to a flex exchange rate that you own where you can let the currency move, the price move a little bit. When you have no currency, all the adjustment happens through GDP. All of it happens through tightening your belt. Can I ask you, why, why do those countries still pursue a hard, hard... The problem is that it's... They bec- in, I mean, that's... In Salvador, they're massive recession. Continuously because of that. Now, but, but is, that, is that a safety mechanism that we don't... I mean, are they trying to prevent what Lebanon is going through? Is that the idea? Or is it... It's, it, it, it's, it's constitu- it becomes... The way they do it usually, it becomes yeah. constitutional. Hmm. And becomes part of the political contract. So there's really no way out. Even no if, way out. Even if there's in Argentina, it was also constitutional. Yeah. Uh, Coralito... Um, uh, the convertibility and, and, and the crisis was so severe on the economy yeah. they decided they had they had civil unrest and yeah. the constitution was changed and eventually they reintroduced the peso right right the point here is that this is not the panacea okay. at the end of the yeah. day end of the day not having the problem is it's a supply and demand of dollars and if for some reason yeah. supply is in there and you cannot change the price, it all goes through quantity. Right. And if it right. goes through quantity, you go into a deep, deep recession. Let's take Bosnia as an example. Is it that that country can deal with it better because the economy did not have to contract? No, I mean, again, it's, it's, Bosnia is a bit complicated because um, they get massive amounts of foreign assistance. Right. Much more integrated into Western Europe than we are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the the combination mm-hmm. of these two things, yeah. the post-war. Uh, so they, they have a lifeline to, in a sense that exactly, we don't have. Exactly, exactly. Although we had different types well, of... There's other examples. Like, clearly, the big example is, is Greece. Yeah. But that's, Greece has a euro as well. Greece doesn't have drachma either. But then, and see what happened there as well. Yeah, Greece is a much closer example to us than yeah, where they also gave up on on exchange rate as as a as a as a, as a lever of adjustment. Right. And when they went through the crisis, yeah, when people did not want to fund their debt, yeah, right, and the currency price couldn't change, yeah, the economy went into a severe severe recession. And that's a detriment to Greece. And in other words, the their the end of the day, the inability to leave the Eurozone was a problem for... Well, I mean, or? it's obviously complicated because yeah. because they're part of the Eurozone, the they, ECB stepped in. Yeah, right. right? So we don't have an ECB. I the always, ECB gave them $100 billion. Euros. Yes, exactly. And we don't have an ECB behind us. Right. So yes, you can have, you can live without your currency if you have... Constant, like a father support. figure who's willing <laughs> to support you. No, right? We don't have the ECB. The reason I'm asking this is because we've had variations of stepfathers. I don't know what they are, but we've had Gulf countries. Paris 1, Paris 2, whatever. Those are are maybe the the sturdier uncles in the family, but we've had had odd relatives step in. Qatar has tried in the past. It seems to flirt with it even today. Uh, Saudi Arabia has done it. Many, the Emirates, many countries in their own peculiar way, Iran sends its money to. We we don't have that right now. Mm -hmm. All those countries seem to be sort of looking at Lebanon as a as a basket case, whatever they do won't help. And that might usher in, going back to the initial point, there's no one giving us a lifeline. We're actually dealing with it ourselves for what looks like the first time since the Civil War that Lebanese are turning inwards to solve their domestic problems. I put it the other day in a tweet. The problem is not them, the problem is us. 
that, that the core of our problem is not that that, 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 that the society itself cannot seem to be able to eschew its, 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 its sectarian identity. Yeah. And unless and until you get that, the change is not going to happen. Right. I don't want to say that the state is a direct mirror reflection of society. Yeah, it probably is. But there is definitely some of us yes, in... Yes, it probably yeah. is. We're complicit. I mean, the word I always like to use is we're complicit. We're part of the... It's not just them. It's not just the thieves. Yes. It's not just yeah. the corrupt... Not that they're... I mean... Uh, they're not angels. They're not they're angels they're by not any angels. stretch of yeah. imagination. Yeah. But we're complicit. We're part of that system as well. And... Uh, Again, for three minutes on October 17, I was very, very excited. For it, three? Three minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for, for a very, very short period of time. Just like I was very excited in, in, in 2011 with the Arab Spring. Because yes. Because that right. was a... Yeah. And I, I'll give a credit to, to, to my wife, who always reminds me that the French Revolution uh, didn't finish in one year, right? It was decades before yeah. it got... So, so maybe we should give that uh, progressive movement, the civil society... Yeah, movement sometime. Maybe we're being too tough on them and say, saying that. Right, right. Let's not be too pessimistic. Even though deep down I am very pessimistic, and I yeah. think the problem is us, not mm. them. Mm. Uh, but 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 you you look at what happened and the surprise of October seventeen. Yeah. Uh, again, you look at the Arab Spring. Tells you there is something there. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe not my. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be that pessimistic. We've had opportunities to overcome these interesting ways of identification we haven't um, and I know that it's not simply it's not just a story about us I mean we've had numerous problems that have given us every reason to go back to those identities let alone this post-war era is not simply post-war it's not a ushering in of peace and prosperity it's occupation and it's also a non-state group that has really I mean Today, Hezbollah seems to be the most uh, defensive over the regime that they, that in a way that that's a regime that they need to sustain themselves. So that's definitely part of the story. It's part of the mix. But it's 2020, and Lebanon is now 100 years old. Greater Lebanon was born 100 years ago. I mean, it's no excuse. We've had time to get over it. And I know your wife, she's right, 100 years, you need time for... But the last hundred years have pointed in a different direction. We seem yeah, to be holding yeah, on to it rather than letting go over time. Again, I mean, the way I like your I'm three pessimistic. Yeah, but your three-minute analogy, I felt that something magical happened for a moment, which is, it wasn't just economic rage. It wasn't just people upset that they were losing money, that the economy was bankrupt. Yeah, it was asking for something more. Something more was in the mix. Yeah, yeah and that that might be the first time, hopefully not the only time, that we see that on the streets and forth. And again, I want to go back to the previous to the conversation we started at the beginning. Maybe, maybe the fact that the current regime is so bankrupt politically, mm. 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 its credibility, its legitimacy is so evaporated, yeah. right? That that maybe the vacuum is sufficiently big right now that the civil society is discovering there's a gap, right. there's a vacuum, so we can take over here. Right. If you want to be optimistic, yes. yeah. I mean, maybe that would be the the reason. Better them than an armed grouping seizing mm-hmm. the moment. Absolutely. Again, in seventy five, again, I'm not that old, but the, when you talk to people who are old, 10, 20 years older than me, they will tell you it's seventy four, seventy five, even seventy three. Uh, uh, there was a moment of optimism yeah. as well. Mm. Unfortunately, it took an incredibly dangerous route. Absolutely. Um, the, 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 the regime was so unwilling yeah. 
to, to yield that they took to arms, right? right? And, 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 and then sectarian, isolationist uh, 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 tendencies dominated. Yeah. Let's hope this time it's not the same. I hope so. But, but, but there, is, there is that, again, a ray of, if I wanted to be optimistic, which I'm not, but if I were to be optimistic, I would say the vacuum is so clear right now that maybe yes. there's yes. a space here. Do you think that the political class is up to the challenge at this point right now to read these proposals, to see these policy points, whether it's 10-point action plan or earlier suggestions, what we discussed today? Do you think they are they have what it takes to manage this current economic climate? No. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, not to be a maximalist about it. Okay, yeah. I would nuance the answer a little bit. Uh, do they have the willingness and ability to understand how bad it is mm. and the contours of the solution? Mm. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. And I think, if anything, over the last two months I've been talking, I've been quite active with them recently, there's a certain willingness to appreciate the magnitude of the problem yeah. and what is needed, the contours of what is needed. You, right. you can have a conversation with them right now with the policymakers either in the cabinets, who, by yeah. the way, as individuals are very impressive. Mm. As individuals, mm-hmm. I should give them, I should be very clear, they're very impressive, right? a very positive on the vast majority of the ones, at least the ones I've met. Okay. Um, uh, so they have the willingness to understand, listen, think, right. talk about it. Now, do they have the political willingness yeah. to coalesce around those solutions and do something about it? I'm not convinced at all. Do they have the political capital, the political uh, uh, willingness, that collective action yeah. uh, problem that is needed to do something? I just don't see it. You know, it's a shame that even now we see talented people exerting effort and they end up in a similar situation, which is the, the Lebanese curse, that even the most skilled are not able to deliver what they want, what they, what they want to see happen, and the political problems of Lebanon seem to persist. Hopefully that extreme effort on your side and others as well persists and hopefully enough people do take it upon themselves to try and I hope that we're both proven wrong that the pessimism is less than we assume and I hope I hope both of us live to see a different Lebanon emerge because this one seems to be on its way out taking the long view I won't be alive to see it die (laughs) but it seems to be dying slowly a very tragic death that might be the what what Lebanon needs at the end of the day on that note Amr, thank you for your time. My pleasure.